millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We love our pets, but when the floor is covered in fur, that's harder to love. Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has powerful 8,000 PA suction to make hair vanish from floors in just one pass. Plus, the roller brush has automatic detangling for easy hands-free maintenance. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who like to use a lot of words yet say nothing at all Mark, Matt, and Shannon. You know what's funny? I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I've got the right show number. That's a great thing to do right as we start the show. Uh, it is Wood Talk Summer Other. Yeah, it's, it is know. confirmed to be Wood Talk number 312 for June 6, 2016. On today's show, we're talking about hand tool fatigue, using a woodworking miter saw as a metal cutoff saw, and the right finish for furniture in a rental property. But before we get to all that, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Bruso Hardware. Bruso Hardware provides high-quality, American-made woodworking hardware for furniture, cabinets, boxes, and more. Woodtalk listeners can use coupon code WOODTALK for 10% off your first order at bruso.com. Uh, we'd also like to thank some individuals who helped us out with donations. Uh, Khalid Mohammed, uh, Christopher Warner, Stephen Caperton, Brian Walford, Robert DeMarco, L.A.T. Lindstrom, and Chris Van Steelent. Thank you so much, everybody. We appreciate your support. And if you want to help out too, you can go to woodtalkshow.com, look over in that side column, and you'll see some donation links for recurring or a one-time donation. However you want to help out, we always appreciate it. And we'll mention your name here at the beginning of the show, just like we did for those fine folks. So thank you for uh, for your support, people, because that really, really helps. And uh, yeah, I think what he said. Yeah, what I said. <laughs> I think we should get uh, get on our benches and see what's up there. Uh, you know, I'll be honest, guys. I can't say a whole lot about what I'm doing right now. Um, I mentioned it before. I am working with uh, Honda. It's yes, yeah, it's very secret. <laughs> Is there's hoops to jump through and tape to be cut, and I don't want to say anything. I'm not supposed to say, um, but I will. I will say one thing, and I'll just let it go. This is why I. I this is why I work alone. and that's why i'm self-employed because i do not envy the folks and i'm sure many of the people who are listening to this on their commute have to deal with this crap uh shannon you still have to deal with it inner office politics rules and just stuff right like and i get a taste of it by working with companies like this and i go whoa am i glad i do what i do (laughs) because that doesn't sound fun so sorry folks uh you know I definitely appreciate the position. Thank you very much, Mark. Just, just be quiet. That's why I'm not going to complain anymore. Like (laughs) it's in poor taste to continue to complain about something like this. Everything's great guys. It's fantastic. (laughs) It's fun and happy and sunshine and puppy tails. (laughs) It totally is. Uh, But Hey, I'm going to be building four projects in a very short period of time. So I'm going to be making a lot of sawdust. Very busy. Uh, I will say that we're working outside, so that's presenting some challenges because today it was like 117 yesterday, 113 today. Um, but the good news, it's going to dip down to about 107 tomorrow. So, you know, that cold front comes in, it's going to make all the difference in the world. Mm. It's ridiculous. 
Why do I live here? That's the question. That is the question. Uh, Matt, what's going on with you? I just got back from a trip to Toronto. I was visiting family up there. And of course, while I was there, I figured I might as well go around and visit some uh, woodworking things. So I went and I visited uh, Paul at uh, Canadian Woodworks. That was awesome. Nice. He he does um, like rocking chairs and like sculpted things and tables and he does all kinds of stuff there. So he has like, I guess, three things he does there. He does the custom furniture. He does classes so he can go there and build like a rocker with him. Mm -hmm. Like he'll build one, you build one at the same time. And he's also got um, lumber for sale up there. He saws up a lot of lumber. So that was cool too. Got to see like this giant, giant yard full of slabs just just chilling out there. That's awesome. I follow him on uh, on Instagram, and he posts oh, yeah. some really good stuff. He does yeah, great work. Too. It's always fun to see that. That that's so cool. Like every time you saw open a log, it's like Christmas. You know, yay! Look what I found. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I just lift logs, lift uh, boards off that, a pile. That's because that's because you're unemployable, Mark. <laughs> that's right. I'm very difficult to work with. So you I don't, could never work for a sawmill because yeah. you're unemployable. Unless Sweaty I unless I pull a, a a mat and go get my own and do my own thing. But, there you yeah. go. You know, I don't I don't know how much luck I'd have here in Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look at this palm tree that fell down. Or yeah, that wouldn't be very good. Well, if we get the logs in there, you have uh, pretty much cornered the market, I think. That's true. That's You'd true. you be the guy. There's a um, a place here called Porter Barnwood that I've been to. I know the guys there. Um, they have a very interesting business model because they'll go all over the country to like tear down barns and get mm-hmm. reclaimed lumber. And they bring it all back here. So it's kind of an odd place because there aren't exactly like many barns in this area, <laughs> you know. But this place specializes. People. There are people who do like the whole reclaim thing and you know businesses that are looking for that stuff uh, and and some you know areas just don't have a vendor like this and the supply that these guys have and the stuff that they make themselves is absolutely stunning and amazing uh, and it's a great resource around here i don't use it myself particularly but for people who are into that that's a great resource to have it's just funny that we've got it in phoenix <laughs> yeah that is weird it's not what I, you would expect well it's interesting because it's almost like a sub industry now because i know what five different companies now that that's all they do is like tear down barns and then resell it to like the dealers that specialize in reclaim wood. And, you know, they're real careful about numbering everything. So you can actually say, okay, well that board you're using was the uh, cross piece in the back bedroom of the house that used to be on this land (laughs) and built in 1784 or whatever. Um, Because you get the whole story, you know, the whole history. And of course the wood's worth more. But yeah, that's all they do is go and tear down barns and then, you know, take out any hardware or anything that's going to like screw up a, a, a saw or a planer. Um, they'll do some prep work if you want it, or they'll just end up selling the barn. They don't sell, you know, X board fit of wood. They sell it by the barn. It's very cool. Or by the by the house. Um, and that's that's their whole job. Just tear down stuff and, and sell it. That is crazy work. Duh. Yeah. Pretty awesome. I'm glad somebody does it though. So, so wow. what else did you see at the Canadian? What's his name? It's probably Paul? not Canadian Woodworks, right? No, I think it's Paul. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Paul Canadian Woodworks. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, besides being there, it was so cool to be there because I, you know, like, like you, Mark, I follow him on Instagram, so I've seen like all his posts of his giant machinery he always finds mm-hmm. somewhere, some auction somewhere. So he has a 32 inch planer that weighs like I think it weighs like 4,000 pounds. I think it's massive. Wow. Got a 24 inch jointer there. He's got a 30 inch disc sander, a 32 inch bandsaw. It's just that's crazy, ridiculous. The stuff he has there. How'd you wind did up you, hooking up with him? Did you just say like, "Hey, I'm going to be in the area. Can I stop by?" Or did he invite you? I just 
you know, asked what, him. What's the etiquette on that sort of thing? Yeah. I just asked How him, does that work? I, I, I spoke to him like a little over a year ago. I did a little um, interview show with him mm-hmm. on our Matt, the Matt and Matthew show. We did oh, yeah, the yeah. episode with him like about a year ago. So I had talked to him before and then like maybe like a month ago, I, I sent him an email. I said, hey, I'm going to be in the area. Do you mind if I stop out or whatever? He's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Come on by, whatever. Nice. Now he wants me to come back and do a chair class with them. So maybe I'll have to do that too. No, that's awesome, man. <laughs> uh, you learn that some that that sort of thing side by side from someone who's done it a lot is invaluable. That's great. Oh yeah, that's cool. Sweet. Anything else in Canada that was interesting? Oh, yeah, I did, did a lot of stuff in Canada. Um, on Saturday the night I got there, we did a little meetup. Um, myself and a few other, I guess, content people there mm-hmm. locally. So we had a little meetup, and I think like thirty. 40, 50 people showed up. Jeez. It's a lot of fun. Nice. Yeah. That was awesome. Uh, I went to Lee Valley the day I left. That was interesting. That was a big place. Yeah. <laughs> I want to cool? do that so badly. Like, and I'm hoping, like, I think you, you guys might remember when I went up to Maine last year, I went to my very first Rockler store and it was like the <laughs> oh. biggest letdown ever. Yeah. <laughs> so part of me, part of me is a little afraid. It's like, I really want to go to a Lee Valley, but it's like, ah, it can't be that bad, right? Can't be as bad as Rockler. <laughs> No, it's got to be and way better than I buy a lot of Rockler. stuff from Rockler. Don't get me wrong. Rockler's great for what it is. You know, I like to buy finishes. I like to buy some hardware there. But it, yeah, it, that's what it's good for. <laughs> What's impressive about Lee Valley, though, is even though it's a Canadian company, you know, shipping might be a little bit more. It's kind of a pain in the butt. I actually purchase from them a lot, like n- numerous yeah. times throughout the year, because a lot of times they offer something that I can't get elsewhere or uh, when I'm looking for it, I find something on Amazon. I'm not hundred percent sure that that's like the right piece of hardware. So I go to Lee Valley and I feel like I can like trust what I buy from them, that it's going to be the right thing for me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's less risky because they sort of, they generally sell, you know, higher level quality stuff for the most part. Um, but it is amazing to me that a Canadian company, how many things I actually feel like they're the best source for, you know, instead of something that's, you know, some domestic resource. But, you know, the you store like was totally was, insulted all of Canada. Oh, yeah. uh, so, uh, no, I'm saying it's just usually you don't buy international when you have some sort of domestic source, you know, especially for just basic woodworking stuff. But their stuff is so good that I typically feel like that's the yeah. best place to get well, it. Fortunately, it's relatively inexpensive to ship from Canada. Yeah. It's shipping from the U.S. to Canada that's expensive. All the poor people in Canada trying to order from like Lee Nielsen or whatever and paying like the the massive you know surcharges that when the minute you cross the border, it's not <laughs> right. too bad coming our way. So that's good. Yeah, good deal. The store was pretty cool. I mean, it's like you have the whole catalog there that you can kind of walk through virtually or in person or whatever. Um, one thing I didn't really like about it, though that I really liked about the the booths that they have at like the Woodworking America and the, and the Woodworking shows so you can actually use the tools there at the store. They're all locked up and you can't try anything. That's that kind of weird. Sucks. They got a bench there. They like, like oh, I guess if you ask someone, they could like take it out and like show it to you, but it wasn't like, hey, just walk up to the tool. It's ready to go. It's all set up and you can just use it. It's like, no, it's locked up or it's got a uh, security cable around it or whatever. So hmm. that was kind of not cool, I guess. Wow. Uh, I guess I guess I could see why they would do that. I mean, just leaving the stuff out there is pretty expensive hand planes and very easy to jack them up if you're not careful. Yeah, but so. it, you mean you talk about a totally different experience at the Lee Nielsen factory, though, where it's like, like oh, oh, like, yeah. here, take it, go build stuff. You know, like we'll yeah. we'll leave you alone. Just go work on stuff in the corner there. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. And that's what oh, I totally. heard about at Lee Nielsen. So I'm like, oh, it must be kind of the same thing at Lee Valley. But I guess you only get that experience if you go see them at a show. Hmm. Now, because Lee Valley has this whole other 
side of their business. There's like the home and garden type thing. Do they have that in the stores too? Yeah, they have everything. Yeah. Really? Wow. That's pretty cool. Awesome. It's just I've like ordered... a big giant L.L. Bean. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've ordered stuff from that uh, that side of the catalog as well. I've got a um, this like little knife sharpener thing that works pretty well. And I got an iPad holder, like a suction cup iPad holder that yeah. they advertise yeah. that works great for like while I'm cooking in the kitchen. Pretty awesome. It's the one on like the articulating arm. Yep. That's the one. Yeah. I just saw that in a little circular and I've been seriously thinking about getting it. But where I want to use it. I'm not certain it'll work yeah. because it's a slightly textured surface. Yeah. Well, I've actually got I a, want to use it in my shop. Actually. I've got um, granite and it's smooth, but granite is porous. So over time, like it'll hold for a while. And I didn't realize this like an hour <laughs> later, it comes crashing <laughs> it down. It's over. Yeah. So the, the thing, every time I get those Lee Valley circulars, I've always have fun looking through them because there's always products and they're like, really? Seriously? Right. Like there's a little personal mosquito netting thing. Like and you see like grandma sitting on her lawn chair with like the little mosquito like <laughs> shack around her. It's yeah. Like, I'm totally going to buy that. Just, <laughs> just, you know, it folds up. You just pull it out of your, your backpack and whoop, whip out the little Everybody mosquito Everybody needs shed. one. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, very cool. So that about it for the highlights? Uh, let's see. I also went to the Unplugged Wood Shop and I went to Atlas Machinery and I met uh, Kiefer, the Toolaholic there you did and, make some uh, rounds. i think that's about it Jeez, very cool man well it sounds like a worthwhile trip for sure Great yeah trip. I, I packed in a lot of stuff nice good deal so shannon what about you did you guys know that father's day is coming up nope had no idea uh, yeah is it i guess so i think Next it's this week, weekend maybe? is yeah. it this weekend <clears throat> i believe it is yeah oh wow cool yeah, it's the sixth so well um I made that campaign stool uh, i did a video on it specifically for my father-in-law for um Father's Day. Mm -hmm. But I forgot that he is actually already up at their house in Maine. Um, So I was like, oh, crap. Well, it turns out my mother-in-law, they they went separately because she had a separate trip to take. So she's about to head up. And I'm thinking, great, I'll give it to her and then give it to her for um, Father's Day. So I'm thinking this yesterday morning. And I say to to my wife, you know, Heather, when's your mom leaving? Uh, Three o'clock today, I think. (laughs) I was like, whoops. (laughs) Don't. So um, the plan of doing two stools kind of a his and hers type thing yeah that that changed <laughs> instead we're doing a his stool and i want to throw a big shout out to dave jesky for the idea on this and a multi-bit screwdriver <laughs> <laughs> i quickly i was like you know dave jesky's got a, a a little special like father's day thing you can buy a you know the turned handle screwdriver with like the little magnetic hex bits that go in and out well i happen to have a kit like that just sitting around in like a you know bunch of pin kits and everything i'm like oh great so i'm downstairs turning turning a, a screwdriver handle <laughs> I love, <laughs> that's why i love turning to this day it's like oh you, we need a hostess gift when you need it 30 minutes okay here we go we're gonna be turning something so yeah i found a piece of a uh, quilted nara that i've had for good lord 15 years maybe it's this, this tiny little piece and there's not really much I can make from it. So every now and then I'll slice off a little sliver for like a cool piece of inlay or whatever. But it was almost exactly the size blank I needed for the screwdriver handle. So it was divine intervention and uh, sat down at the old barn's laid, started pedaling away. And then meanwhile, uh, a huge thunderstorm rolled through and um, I have a major leak under my garage door. So I'm like mm. pedaling and there's like water seeping under the door, like underneath <laughs> the lathe. And I, it became, I don't know, it was kind of like uh, the opening to Gilligan's Island. So you quickly fashion. Uh, water is rising beneath me. And, you quickly fashion a canoe. Yes. Get out of yes. there. 
I turned to paddle while I was at the lake <laughs> just to, to paddle the lay of the way. Yeah, so, nice. Yeah. So Father's Day is coming, folks. If you haven't thought of a gift and you want to make something, get to the lathe. So like lathe gifts are sort of like just one step better than a re-gifted gift or something? Yeah. <laughs> is that what it is? Just one step. Uh, nice little throwaway gift. Well, cool, man. That sounds good. But, you know, now I want to make one myself because it's a really cool little screwdriver. And it's like, hey, I want that in my shop. Dude, That's that. I use that around the house. Like I had a bunch of screwdrivers and have always had this shop and house garage like fight between tools and there's things that I want in the house, but I only have one. So it stays in the garage or in the shop and the multi-tool, the one that has all the different uh, little heads on it and it's magnetic. That's the perfect thing for the house. Like I don't really want necessarily need something like that in the shop because I've got a bunch of different screwdrivers with different heads on them. Um, But that thing's perfect for like little house things. I've been doing a lot of um, home automation stuff. So I'm doing a lot of electrical replacement and I just need every kind of little screwdriver possible. And those things are great. Uh, And I would love to have one with like a cool handle instead of the stupid plastic handle that I have now. So that's, that's a cool idea. Well, the only problem with that, because I have one of the, the plastic handle ones, it's cool because the handle unscrews and you can keep bits in the handle. That's uh, It's not yeah. impossible to do with wood, but obviously you're dealing with a slightly harder project to bore that <laughs> a out and thread the ends and you know, basically tape your, your little lidded box thing you did, Mark. Yeah. Take that project, combine <laughs> it with a screwdriver and throw in some threads and that's – yeah. That that would not have been done in 30 minutes to be able to get to my mother-in-law before she left for me. <laughs> no, no, I would need time to do like 10 practice versions before I did a real exactly. one. <laughs> yeah. Make sure the shape is just right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, very cool. So let's move into a couple of uh, things that were brought to our attention that you might be interested in reading. First one was sent to us by David Alshman, and he says it's a neat and inspiring article about a custom furniture maker. And it's on the AmericanInterest.com. And it is a long article. Uh, I'll be honest, I, I read the first half and then perused the second half because it was on my lunch break. And, uh, you know, I had to get going. <laughs> but it really is a good article. Um, the first paragraph kind of sets the stage for where it's going. So I'll just read that real quick. Um, this is written by um, David Stein, who is the author and who this is about. Uh, he says, I don't know what bothered me more. The hipster wannabe furniture, quote unquote, artisans with their designer jeans cuffed just so, their carefully scuffed leather boots, their $300 flannel shirts, and their perfectly manscaped beards, or the corporations selling giant dining tables that made, that were uh, tables made with, again, quotes, sustainably harvested wood from Brazil and Indonesia. I hated them both, and they were bookending my booth at the Architectural Digest show in New York. So you can kind of see where this is headed. And Mm -hmm. it's a very interesting take on the state of craftsmanship in America, where it's going, where it's been and, you know, what his concerns are, but also some, you know, there's some positive elements too. And what he thinks is a sign of, of better things to, to come. And I was actually really glad to see the article turn that way because it was very like, you know, blah, blah, negative, blah, bad, you know, grumpy old woodworker, corporate evil, you know, and, (laughs) And then it kind of turned to like, hey, but there's hope on the horizon. So uh, it's kind of nice. And, and, and I agree with that because I do think as much as – see, imitation is a serious form of flattery, right? So as much as we're seeing these companies who are advertising, hey, we're green and we're sustainable and we're an artisan company, well, that's because people are interested in that, right? We wouldn't – the mass market wouldn't be trying to emulate that unless there was some undercurrent of interest. In yeah. fact, a big undercurrent. In order for big companies to say, hey, we should pay attention and try to do this, that tells me that there's a decent market segment out there that's saying we want handmade stuff. You know, the rise of Etsy has shown us that we want cool 
unique, handmade, whatever, artisanal. You choose your favorite buzzword. Mm -hmm. But that that's kind of cool, you know? And the only thing we can hope is that the mass market production kind of marketing of the whole thing um, will start to be a little bit more transparent. Yeah. Um, because we live in a world where you can't hide anymore. And the internet will will find you. Right. <laughs> They'll find you out if you're sourcing lumber from a clear-cut place in Indonesia. Uh, you will be – somebody will blow a whistle on you somewhere. So ultimately, this guy, which I, I might say is basically Matt Cremona. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. This guy grows, cuts down the trees from the land that he's like, you know, in his family who is actually, you know, maintaining uh, – I don't think you maintain your own land, Matt, but you, no, you take I, urban logs and he saws his logs and dries his logs and builds everything. And just like we learned, what was that, two weeks ago, Matt's never been to a lumber mill because right. of that. So, <laughs> well, yeah. he also is only taking things that are rotted, mm -hmm. fallen, or uh, non-indigenous species, invasive species. Those are the things that he logs and, and makes all his furniture out of, uh, which is pretty damn admirable. Um, the other cool thing was he, he points the blame uh, initially at the makers, right? These new hipster makers and what they're doing wrong, but then quickly turns it around and says, but what about the integrity of the consumer? And is that like really the heart of this problem that people are willing to buy crap and they're, they're more happy to go out and buy a $20 bookcase than to spend 1200 on one that'll last forever because the 21, $20 one can be replaced in a year when it breaks for another $20, you know, and you're still, you know, financially speaking, you're still to the good. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, I think it's a very balanced perspective that I wasn't expecting after the initial, like first couple of paragraphs. Yeah. It is, a, it is a really, it's a long one, but it is it definitely is. a good article. There's some cool stuff in there about like the, the die off of skills. And he's got a thing about, you know, what do you mean? You can't change your tire yeah. anymore, right. <laughs> you know, but that, 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 I don't want to say that as an exaggeration because I can't remember the last time I changed a tire. I, I know how. I think I've, I have done it before, but like, why would I do that? That's what I pay the extra, you know, roadside assistance in my insurance. <laughs> you know, ironically, that's the same logic I apply to hand tools. I, <laughs> I could do it that way. I know right. how to do it that way, but I'm not going to do it that way. <laughs> um, so here's an interesting thought as I'm reading this. Um, this is something that's not just isolated to woodworking. When you look at the current state of things influenced by the internet, you know, and a lot of this propelled by the internet, you've got um, just thinking of other areas where people could have like a reason to be pissed about this. How about news agencies who have to deal with independent news bloggers like mm -hmm. that must drive them nuts, you know? And then same thing with uh, anything like movie reviewers. How about woodworking magazines? Yeah. Uh, honestly, when cool. I first started, you know, there were some magazines that kind of got it, some that kept me at arm's length, some that absolutely hated what I did. And even today, you could start to see some of these, some companies, you know, I mean, the, the magazines, you know, no offense to them, but they're kind of like just a conversation that isn't really had anymore. Uh, it, it's weird. I think things have moved past that format now. And the folks who are really excited about this stuff don't even worry about subscribing to these magazines. So it's almost like not even a talking point. But there was a, t a period of time where their opinion of the folks like, you know, like us who were making content early on really mattered to us. And it felt like crap to be, you know, looked down upon because we aren't vetted. You know, we don't have the the support or the years behind us. 
Um, and same thing. Like, oh, that word vetted. That takes me back remember to that? one of my favorite Wood Talk episodes. <laughs> There's actually the uh, the Asa apology episode where I photoshopped. He's holding a board and it says like, I'm sorry on it or something. <laughs> that was one of my favorite thumbnails we ever made. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of areas where this type of grumpy sort of like, well, back in my day, we'd have to do this and we're better at this stuff. Um, but it, it makes me wonder, do you guys think that being the type of people who are out there providing free content for, for folks to learn this stuff and potentially giving a lot of people the tools they need to at least be good enough to be dangerous in, in the world of making furniture. Do you think we are part of that problem for, for a person like this? Hmm. I mean, if we're like Matt, you've got, uh, you know, tons of people that watch your stuff on YouTube and you've got mm-hmm. some, uh, young guy or gal who, who watches your stuff. They start a business. They start going down the artisanal path, uh, using all the buzzwords. They don't really have much of a skill set yet, but they know just enough to, to get some things made. Um, and, and this is the kind of guy who set, or the kind of person who sets a booth up next to this David Stein, you know, is, is that a bad thing? Is there, is there good in that? Like what, what do you think about that? If someone told you that this is someone you trained to do what they're doing, does it change <laughs> I, it for you? No, I think it's, it's, there's obviously still good in it because you're still, if that's the case of your scenario there, I'm still getting someone into, into the craft yeah. and maybe they're not as good as, as David is at this point in his career, but that they think that they're good enough to have their stuff on display there and people buy it. I mean, that's, they're running, they're running a business that people buy their crap and it breaks. It's their they're going to have to fix it or figure out some way to make it better or whatever. It's kind of their problem at that point. So I think if you're building a a strong chance that their stuff is still probably better than the mass produced stuff that this guy, David's railing against too. Yeah. I'm sure it is. Uh, But it's just, if they're running it as a business, it becomes there. I I, I can kind of, I can see where David's coming from with his higher end stuff. But if the consumer only wants to pay, a certain amount of money or they're fine buying something that is technically crap, but they like the looks of it. Well, then they're just, they're just doing a good job marketing to the consumer and selling the, the consumer exactly what they want. Right. And I mean, there's definitely room. And especially when you see David's pricing that he puts into this article, there are very few people who can afford what he's charging. So if there is someone out there who can make something of, yeah, maybe it's a lower quality. It might not last as long as his last, but it satisfies the need of a consumer who says, I don't want the the big box store crap. I want something a little bit better. I can't afford that guy. So there's this guy over here, mm-hmm. you know, and to me, yeah. that's filling, that's filling a void in the market, not necessarily something to be, you know, railed against. It might be frustrating, but at the same time, maybe that's the it. people who, who bought that, maybe that's a stepping stone to eventually getting to that's a good. That's a good point because I think a lot of people see it as this person taking my business. Well, it probably wasn't your business to begin with because they could they were already priced out. Yeah, of right. Buying your you stuff. wouldn't want that business. You know, you're not. That would be a frustrating client for for yeah, someone like David. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's the same thing. Like, I mean, I still get emails from people who I got one the other day and it's like, I was watching a Paul Sellers video, parentheses, sorry, in parentheses. I'm like, why are you sorry? Paul Sellers is a good dude. You're like, not allowed to watch any other woodworkers. And he's like furthering the hand tool craft. Well, and why, you know, shoot. I wrote an article the minute Paul came out with his own like masterclass. Cause I think it's great. Like rising tide raises all ships, you know? I mean, Paul's got his personality. I got my personality and Mark's got his personality. I mean, shoot, when I decided to launch the hand tool school, the first thing I did was email Mark. 
okay, is it okay if I do this? And Mark's like, why are you asking me? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Don't you know, ask me. The same thing. I'm if the worst got a person, person that's building at a, you know, a $1,000 price point and you're at a $12,000 price point, you're talking to totally different customers. Yeah. But the more people that collectively those two makers like bring over to the, hey, this is unique, handmade, whatever piece – the better, you know, and eventually maybe one of those people will, will, will get more money as they get older and they'll graduate to become David's customer in the $12,000 market. And maybe their kids will become the $1,000 customer. You know I mean? It's the circle of life. Yeah. Well, and we're in a day and age right now where it's easier for people to start a business probably way before they ever could in the past. You oh know, yeah, absolutely. With, with just a little bit of information. I mean, realistically, um, what I've always looked at, my, my buddy Izzy over at Izzy Video, um, I watched a seminar of his talking about membership sites. And one of the interesting things that he put out there, and, I, and now it's something that I, I completely internalized and it makes sense to me. Um, he said, look, you don't really have to be an expert at, at what you do when you go online to talk about it. You just need to know a little bit more than the person who is reading or watching your content. And then what you're telling them becomes valuable. So, so that's kind of where this goes. These people don't need to be what anyone would consider a master craftsman or a craftswoman. They, they need to be able to just make serviceable furniture that looks good and, and fills a niche to be able to be successful. And because of the internet, we're able to do this in a way that we've never been able to do it before, which for an old school you know, person who's been around, who put in their time has got to be frustrating to see that happen. But I don't know that it's necessarily an all negative phenomenon. Mm, agreed. Yeah. It's interesting stuff. Well, go ahead and read that article. Let us know what you guys think about it. Uh, it's definitely a good read. Um, Shannon, hit up uh, that next one. Yeah, I'll do this one quick It's because uh, it's a video and you really should just go watch the video. But I just happened to have done a video on David Barron's uh, Dovetail Guides last week. And Jeff Fleischer over at uh, Shenandoah Toolworks forwarded me this. David did a, a couple adjustments to his Moxon bench vise that I think are really, really cool, especially if you're utilizing a Moxon as like a bench on bench or, you know, as part of some sort of other bench rather than like the, just the one that you clamp down. He's, he employs some, uh, puts handles on the wheels and he also employs some springs that allow the chop to move in, um, out as you loosen things up. It makes kind of a huge difference and turns the traditional Moxon vice into like a full blown, like, two twin screw front vice. Mm. So I'm definitely thinking of doing it on my joinery bench. So take a look. It's a good video. Sweet. All right, let's get into our kickback. Um, I don't have anything but the last one. Um, I just wanted to, to throw this out. I talked about the Teak deck chair last week and I got a question in the comments about where did I source the hardware? And, you know, I was like, oh man, I don't know. I bought it like eight months ago. <clears throat> so I'm digging out the hardware and I was like, oh, I bought it at Rockler. I was like, well, I should probably check on this before I post it. Rockler doesn't carry it anymore. I guess they're, I don't know, lack of interest or whatever. I can't find anybody who sells this hardware anymore, huh. which is actually kind of sad because I only have enough for one chair. And I really <laughs> would like to make, like once I go to the trouble of building the templates and everything, I'd like to make a couple more of these. Hmm. Um, so... I, my what I'd like to my my kickback to you folks listening is if you know of anybody who makes the traditional hardware, please let me know. I'd love to not only share it for the the wood talk community, but I want some myself. Um, but that brings up uh, a bit of kickback we got. Um, oh shoot, and I don't remember who gave this to me. But um, there are not only 
plans available online, but there's also plans that involve alternate hardware solutions. Both Fine Woodworking and Popular Woodworking have tackled this chair at one point. Uh, David Teal did it over at Popular Woodworking, and he's actually got uh, a PDF that's free that you can download as well as um, full-size plans, uh, full-size um, templates, rather, hmm. that you can print out. So that actually probably is going to be a shortcut that I'm going to use because it makes a, <laughs> make my, my work a little bit easier. But he does come up with a hardware solution just buying like hardware from Rockler, just random um, pivot bolts and things like that. Um, Tim Killen over at Fine Woodworking not only talks like designs his own pivot hardware, but he did a full SketchUp on it as well. Nice. So um, there's the, dramatically will shorten the design curve. Um, if you just like the look of the traditional Titanic chair and don't really want to mess around with the design, uh, this will take you a long, long way. The other thing is, is Norm Abrams built it. So if you want one of his measured drawings, then you can order them. They're like, what, 15 bucks, 16 bucks or something from a, a new Yankee workshop. So, measured drawings are available. Yeah. But I believe they reference the hardware from Rockler in that measure drawing. Oh, so, nice. <laughs> good luck with that. So Rockler, if you're listening and you want to carry that hardware again, um, I, just based on the number of emails I got in the last week on this chair, there's some people out there who'd be interested. Um, and, and I do think that the alternate hardware, it's nice, but there's something, there's something about it I don't like. You know, because I'm building this kind of historical design, I really like the fit and finish of this this hardware that I have now, yeah. um, it's kind of like uh, like the campaign furniture that Schwarz built uh, in his book. Like buying cheap corner brackets just seems wrong, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like if you're going to do it, do it right with like real solid brass. And um, some of these alternative solutions really, they, they, feel, they feel a little cheap. And I don't mean like it'll fall apart. It just doesn't, it doesn't match the, the feel, the mystique. Yeah, a certain so, elegance to to the. That's the word I wanted. Elegance. You're welcome. Yeah. So, if anybody knows where you can find that hardware, <laughs> I surely would like to to know because I want to buy some more. Cool. There you go. I will I will put the links to these um plans in the notes too. Bueno. Bueno. It's bueno. So this one is from Bill. It says, "Hey fellows, I enjoyed the discussion about publication schedules. I'm guessing that's what you guys talked about last week. That's all we I, talked about. I didn't listen to it yet." <laughs> What? So, you were on the road sorry. and you couldn't listen to it? What are you doing? I was on the road. I was flying. Oh, well, yeah, that's when you listen to podcasts. <laughs> I had a baby to, like, you know, calm down. Babies are overrated. Apparently, our show puts kids to sleep. So <clears throat> that's right. What's your oh, excuse? I should have played it then. Popped an earbud in his little ear. It would have been fine. <laughs> Let me tell you, the worst, honestly, one of the worst couple hours of my life was the time when we took Mateo on a plane when he was two. <laughs> it was it was horrible it, and, and not everyone has that experience you know every kid's different but oh my gosh it was the worst anyway hope yours was better it was it was good good it wasn't that bad nice i i lived i feel fine yeah you made it through it you good. didn't have to buy everybody like a drink on the plane or anything no it was everyone's happy Everyone was waving at him he was crawling down the aisle you know nice oh, really good really good deal good kid <laughs> back to this now anyway sorry <laughs> however I want to ask, both Mark and Shannon produce content for paid subscribers or members. Would your outlook change if you were publishing free content like most of the folks on YouTube? Thanks. Well, Bill, you might be surprised to know that we do publish free content like most folks <laughs> so on YouTube. You that. <laughs> <laughs> that I grant it, we may not do it as much as we, I don't want to speak for Shannon, but I certainly don't do it as much as I used to in, uh, in the past. But 
there's you know, more than 200 episodes floating out there. That's totally free. Yeah. Yeah. I've my, I just looked at my number because of that, that weird thing I had to post on Facebook, the stupid offer I got from that scam company, but, uh, 350 videos uploaded at this point, something like that. So yeah, we have plenty of free content and, um, you know, we, we do think about that. And actually, if you, if you were to compare side by side, a guild video to one of my free site videos, you'd see a drastic difference. Um, yeah. I intentionally leave out lots of detail. I move the the pace a lot faster and I do gauge my content specifically for the free audience that hopefully brings in a greater number of people that will trickle into the guild. And that's kind of my ultimate selling tool. And I know Shannon, you're, you know, you see your free site in the mm-hmm. same way. It's a, it's a way to bring people in. So yeah, we absolutely publish different types of content for paid members versus uh, the average free consumer on our websites. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. One of my biggest points of guilt is when I can't put out more free content. Yeah, it's 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 tough, you know, and it, it is something that pulls you in two directions. And the paying people definitely get priority because they've paid. Uh, that's yeah. just kind of the way it goes. But it's not like we've abandoned our free sites. We just don't work at the pace we used to uh, because we kind of it's just too hard. You're burning the candle at oh, both ends. And frankly, we don't have to because there's this great community of creators that have like grown out of, out of this yeah. that, you know, and do I need to do a dovetail video? Heck no. There's about 300 of them, you know? Right. So uh, I think that's great. I'll, I'll, I'll let the, the next guard take over. Yeah. <laughs> do that. Well, and it's just the way it goes. Um, Hey, let's talk a little bit about, uh, I was going to say, let's talk a little bit about Midroll. I didn't mean that uh, Midroll is a company we work with, but they're not a sponsor. <laughs> talk a little bit about Harry's. They are Harry's. now. Yeah. Send us the check. Yeah, please. Um, Rob actually wrote in and he said, I think it'd be great if you could talk Harry's into supplying you or putting them on their website, just the shaving head fitting so that we could all turn our own unique razor handles. It would give you a cool exclusive for Wood Talk, uh, a Wood Talk Friends project and lock in some more customers for Harry's too. Sounds like a, wins, a win-win. So what do you think? You think they could do this? Just produce the heads and then we could turn handles? Yeah, probably not. To make cheap gifts? <laughs> as we established already? It, it's, as cool as it is, the market subset of like 100 people probably wouldn't make Harry's you know, change gonna, their production. That's not going to justify it? Come on. No. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, I'd be all over it. I've, I've often wanted to turn like one of those cool razor sets but honestly now that i've like gone like full on with harry's it's like well you know what am i gonna do yeah go back to buying the uh the other blades no right i'm harry's man there you go well speaking of harry's uh it is father's day coming up we mentioned that before uh you guys find that fathers generally males older males in your family are absolutely the most difficult people to buy for because that is like a hard and fast rule in my, my wife family. buys the gifts so you wouldn't, you wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. Matt, is that ladies work? It is ladies work. <laughs> just trying to, I'm just trying to get you in trouble. You just totally set you up on that. <laughs> That's ladies work. Uh, <laughs> good stuff. Let's, uh, let's buying get... gifts for men is not a man's job. <laughs> Whoa. Hey, Oh, all right. Well, on that note, and there's the show title. Yeah. If you happen to uh, go against Matt's rule and uh, uh, happen to be a man who wants to buy something for another man, you can, it's a, probably not a bad thing to do. Uh, but yeah, since, you know, uh, at least in my family, uh, the, the, the fathers of the men are very difficult to buy for. They kind of already have everything they need in life and don't seem to want very much. Um, you know, something like a Harry's kit is probably a really cool idea. So you don't want to get them just a, another tie or 
a pair of socks that they're never going to wear. Uh, you also don't want to do something that's overly practical because that never really feels special enough to be a gift. Thankfully, Harry's has got you covered. Uh, while supplies last, Harry's is offering a special limited edition shave set for Father's Day. Uh, get one for dad and uh, get one for yourself while you're there. The limited edition Father's Day shave set includes a matte black razor handle, a chrome razor stand, Harry's moisturizing foam shave gel, three of Harry's handcrafted blade cartridges, and a travel co- cover, excuse me, all for $40. Plus, it comes in a sleek little giftable box with the option to add a custom engraving and a personalized card. Um, they also have a couple other kits you may want to check out at their website. They start at 15 bucks. That's a, a pretty good price point. So go to harrys.com right now, and Harry's will give you $5 off your first purchase with promo code WOODTALK. Don't wait! Economy shipping for Father's Day ends on Thursday, June 9th, so act now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Enter code WOODTALK, W-O-O-D-T-A-L-K, at checkout, and get yourself $5 off. And you know what? Get Dad something he'll actually use this Father's Day. Go check them out. It's Harry's. And thank you for sponsoring the show, Harry's. We appreciate it. Love what you guys do. Keep us all clean shaven. Except for me. Because I don't use it all that often. Except for everybody in the show but me. But when I do shave, holy smokes, (laughs) it's good stuff. Uh, All right. Let's get into our featured topic. Uh, Probably not going to spend a lot of time here, but Shannon, uh, he picked this one for today. Thought it would be a great idea just because uh, the person is an Air Force service person. Is that how you refer to them? Yeah. So, uh, Lacey, I apologize. Your name is androgynous enough that I don't know if I'm talking to a man or a woman. So (laughs) service person is what we're talking about. Um, he, she, they, (laughs) they say, um, I'm in the air force and currently deployed in the middle East. And your show has helped me keep sane and dream of all the projects waiting for where we were when I return. And honestly, that is the number one reason I picked this because I love hearing about our, our servicemen and women abroad, listening to wood talk. That's it's, so cool. It's kind of crazy as a, as a person who also listens to podcasts and audiobooks. There are certain things when I'm away from home that just make me feel like I'm still home. You know, it just reminds me of home and it it's very humbling and very, I don't know. It's hard to put my finger on it when I hear feedback like that, to know that somebody who, who has as important of a job as they have is utilizing our goofy hour a week podcast <laughs> that we do to, just help keep their head on straight, remind them of home, remind them what they're, they're fighting for. It's, it's, it's pretty impactful. It's a big deal. So this, you know, we, we will absolutely answer your question and and know it's like the least we can do for your service. So thank you. Thank you for your service. Mm -hmm. So anyway, here's the question. I'm returning home soon and I've decided to take up welding to complement some of the woodworking projects I've planned. I have a Bosch 12 inch compound miter saw that I purchased back in 2006 and I love it. The issue is I need a chop saw to cut metal for some of the projects I have in mind. Because I'm in the Air Force, I move frequently and my shop space is limited. Do I buy a dedicated shop chop saw or a blade that fits my miter saw? And do you think it would harm my miter saw if I used a chop saw blade on it, if that's even possible? So here's my thought. I, I don't do a huge amount of metal work, um, but when I do, I try to keep it as separate from the woodwork as possible. Not so much that I'm worried about like hurting the tool. I mean, yeah, I would use a metal cutting blade, but it's the the wood the wood dust and the metal filings that I really don't want mixed. Like I don't even sharpen on my workbench because I don't want to get the swarf like onto the bench that could end up like dulling a blade or scratching up my work or something like that. Not only that, if you have a dust collector attached to that compound miter saw, the last thing you want to do is send hot metal filings into that atomized dust bag 
Bad idea. Hmm. Bad idea. Now Sounds you're in the scary. Air Force. Maybe you're good with demolitions. I don't know, but that's what you're looking at. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I feel like you probably not only want a separate saw, you might want to have a separate space. And that may just mean go out into the garage or out into the driveway and do that work just because you're going to end up with some cross-contamination of the metal and the wood, which could be a real problem. Now, I don't work with metal, but I do know how to Google and found a forum thread talking about this on weldingweb.com. And uh, pretty much unanimously, everyone who answers a very similar question to what Lacey asked says, do not do it. Uh, basically, you have an issue with speed where the um, cutoff saws are running at a much slower speed. So you try and run that blade at the woodworking miter saw speed and it's just going to burn up and you're going to destroy an expensive blade and possibly do damage to the bearings on the saw. So add that to your list of just dangerous and, you know, possibly expensive mistakes that you can make with it. It sounds from what these folks who know way more than I do about it, uh, from what they say, it sounds like a really bad idea. Yeah. Besides you're in the air force. Don't you have drones for this? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you call in like a strategic like strike to there cut the steel? That, that that might be overkill, but yeah, it, well, could, it could work. It would be way cool, though. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Well, thanks for that, Lacey, and uh, uh, good luck. Stay safe, and we uh, can't wait to hear from you when you get home. All right, let's jump into our email, kids. Got a couple of them here. Uh, the first one is from Scott Simpson. He says, I'm working on an Elm Slab top dining table for a vacation rental that we're building on Orcas Island here in Washington State. Friends suggest that I seal the wood with a mix of boiled linseed oil and turpentine. His argument was that while we will take care of the table, vacation rental users likely won't be as kind, uh, and you need an easy way to sand and reapply a sealer. Is this a bad idea? Is the protection too weak? What would you do? And list the products you would use too. Um, thanks so much. Just discovered this awesome podcast. So um, this, I think this question is from January. So. <laughs> I'm sure Scott's come he up with a solution. He doesn't think it's an awesome podcast anymore. Not anymore. Yeah, he's probably not even listening anymore. Those guys stink. Yeah, we don't answer all the questions. We just can't. Um, so, Scott, I actually think your friend is on to something there. I think when you've got a situation with a known surface that's going to get abused, and you just have to decide how much abuse it's going to receive. Think of a workbench and think of a cutting board. Typically, these are surfaces we know will get the crap beat out of them. So it generally doesn't make sense to put a thick film finish to try to resist that damage because the damage is going to occur no matter what. So you go on the favor of the side that says, oh, this is easy to repair. So when the damage happens, you could quickly fix it up. And I think that's where your friend is coming from. And actually, I don't think that's a bad way to go. I think someone could make the justification for a nice thick film finish to resist the damage in the first place. And then every couple of years, maybe you'll have a big refinishing job on your hands. Uh, but it's, you know, I, th I think you could make that argument too. So do either one of you think going for more protection is is the right way to go in this situation? I do. So I you, you would... I, I think you would resist like bigger issues like if you have a deep scratch if it was something that was going to come across like keys or something that comes across that table or yeah is it a table yeah if it comes across the table like with keys like if it was polyurethane or something it might just kind of slide off but if it was a really close to the wood finish like just an oil finish it would be gouging the wood itself yeah and then you have to deal with a actual gouge in the wood as yeah. opposed to a gouge in the finish which is a lot easier to fix that yeah it's a real good point now the other thing is with this oil finish that I'm thinking of, 
you would probably at the least want to spike it with a little bit of poly if he is going to go that route because you, you got me thinking about it. What about spills and stains? Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of coats of oil is really not going to do much to cause the, the surface to resist absorption of liquids. Uh, but if you put a little bit, you know, maybe you're using something like a, a Danish oil mixture, that's going to do a much better job of letting the water beat up, allowing you to have time to clean it up before it sets into the wood. So, so there's, you know, so again, I don't know that I'd necessarily go full on, like you're mentioning, Matt, a full on thick film, but it probably is worthwhile to go for more of a oil varnish blend on there, which mm-hmm. is easy repairable, but also gives you a little bit more protection than just the oil alone. But keep in mind, if you go too heavy on the film side, you're talking about a dining table where there's potential for things to be spilled and for hot items to be put on it. And again, yeah. since we're talking about vacation renters who may not care, you know, they drop that pot of soup right down on top of the table, you're going to have real problems uh, with a film finish that's going to cloud up on you and it can be really difficult to fix that. So uh, a penetrating finish would uh, probably serve you a little bit better there too. Plus, I don't know, in my head, he says Elm slab top and I'm already thinking kind of a rustic look. Yeah. Um, or And he doesn't say live edge, but that's immediately where my head goes. Elm is such a cool wood. Very, lots of character, lots of very interesting elements to it that I think it would only add character if it got scratched up. So. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like he's probably going to be doing some level of refinishing anyway. And if it's a big old slab, you know, whether you have the, the, the poly layer that needs to be cleaned, scraped off and sanded back, or if you're sanding the oil surface, you got work to do anyway. And it's probably mm-hmm. going to take a day to do it anyway. So it might be six and one half dozen. You go maybe with more protection all year long, knowing you're still going to refinish at the end of the year. Maybe Matt's logic does make more sense because then at least you have more protection during that year leading to a refinish uh, session that's going to take up a whole weekend anyway. Talking myself out of my answer. <laughs> I was going to say. Uh... <laughs> I agree with Matt now. So uh, what do you think of that? Yeah, it's a couple different ways to look at it, but oh. <laughs> interesting question. The answer is yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. Uh, yes. Um, all the above, please. Do what um, you want. Who's got the next one? Is that Matt? Yeah, I, I think got you got yep. the next one. Ow, ow. Okay. Don't hurt yourself, son. Sorry, elbow to the table. All right. Uh, where was I? There we are. Oh, you picked hey, a question? Top I, fellows. I, I didn't think you were going to pick a question today. I don't have to. I, I, didn't, mention, to. I didn't mention it at the beginning. Oh, well. <laughs> this is a surprise one. Okay, Bonus. Yay! I think. Yeah, go for it. We'll make it a quick one. It's the lightning round. This question's for exercise, Matt. A few years ago, a neighbor of mine had a tree removed from their front yard, but they left about 10 feet tall, 10 feet of it still standing. They're about three to four crotches towards the top, about four feet across, and about three feet wide at its base. I didn't measure it exactly because I'm I'm not the word crazy neighbor. I'm the loud one that plays with saws. That's probably good. It's It's different, trust me. Anyways, my question is, is there a way to safely cut down a tree with an 18-inch bar to make things complicated? It's on top of a very short but steep hill, and I, will, and I would need to move it about a block and a half to get to my house. Also, is there a way to mill it with that size bar? Please don't ban me because of the second question. I love the show too much. <laughs> Let's one slide. It's kind of yeah, we'll it's segues we'll together uh, pretty nice. We need a band hammer or some sort of soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll get soundtrack. that. Yeah. yeah, get the soundboard going, Mark. I'm working on it. All right, good. <laughs> now let me find the first question. Uh, okay, safely cut down a tree with an 18-inch bar. Um, if it's three feet wide, it's base. In theory, you should be able to do it just fine coming in from both sides. If you look online, there are there's a special way to cut through to make your back cut for cutting down a tree. 
that ha- that is uh, bigger than your bar diameter or your bar length. So just look at that. It's like basically sweeping through the back to make the back cut. Um, making the notch is going to be cutting from both sides. It's probably going to be a big pain in the butt, but it's possible. Um, moving in a block, I don't know. I, I've done that before. The first log I ever did was across the street and up a block. So I just chained it to the back of my truck and just dragged it down the road. <laughs> um, I don't know. It, get creative. <laughs> You're that neighbor. <laughs> I'm that neighbor, yes. That's there how was, I used to get my lumber home from the uh, from the lumber dealer. I was, it was kind of sad yeah. because I was as I was pulling it over the, the asphalt, I was basically sanding away the log. So I had less log <laughs> when I got home. It was a foot than, shorter for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> way to go, Matt. Uh, and lastly, is there a way to mill it with that size bar? It's going to be very difficult to um, mill it up unless you do it freehand, cutting from both sides or cutting it kind of weird, like if you're trying to make beams out of it. You could do it that way with like a beam guide. Um, otherwise, it's going to be pretty hard. And if your chainsaw only came with an 18-inch bar and that's the maximum it can put on it, it's probably going to be way too small to cut up a three-foot-wide tree um, or you know, practically too small to cut up that size tree. So you didn't list what size saw it really is, so I don't really know if you can get a bigger bar for it or if it's even worthwhile. But um, it's probably going to be interesting, to say the least, if you try and mill it with that saw. Hmm. Good stuff. Sounds like a lot of work. It does. It will be. Don't worry. It will be hard. I'll go to the lumber yard instead. <laughs> All right. Call this uh, last uh, guys. Okay. Uh, this uh, where where are we? Here we go. This last question is from Mitch, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm actually curious to hear your use uh, use twos guys use guys over there. Some some feedback on this. He says recently after working with my traditional hand tools. I have noticed it takes my hands longer to recover. My right palm is killing me today from yesterday's panel cutting. Is there a method for woodworker stretches, et cetera, before you start working or after? All the tools have been sharpened as of March. The only dull dull tool in the shed is me. So if I sharpen in March, my tools are not sharp anymore. (laughs) Yeah, but hmm. when did this email come in? Yeah, I guess that's true. I answered one from January, so... I feel like I took it near the bottom of the list. All right. Okay. Well, we'll just ignore that last part. Um, I, I do I do think that there's probably some stretches that can be done, but the biggest red flag that pops out of me right away is if you're running into issues where you're getting a lot of like repetitive stress type stuff, you might be doing something wrong. Sounds um, like a death grip going on there. Yeah. I mean, sometimes when you're talking about saws, you know, the handle might not be fit for you properly or more than likely it's too big. Um, And, you know, unfortunately, that sucks, you know, because you could you could make your own handle, I suppose. You know, that's one of the things that you do pay for when you buy nicer kind of boutique made saws is a well-fitting handle. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times it's that death grip that really gives you problems. Um, and, you know, you can work with a really, really sharp saw, but ultimately I can saw all day and not be sore. Um, and that's, you know, you guys have seen me. I'm no incredible shape guy. <laughs> you know, it's it's a technique thing more than anything else. The same thing with planing. If you find that, like, um, there's been times when I've been working on my shooting board for a long, long time. And I'll find that, you know, my palm is a little sore because I've got the death grip and I'm pushing into the side of the jack plane. And I have to constantly remind myself to just relax, dude. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> or you, you kind of lock your body in weird positions and you end up hurting your back or something like that because you're too tense while you're doing the work. Mm -hmm. So I I do think that there are 
some stretches you can do. I wouldn't call them specific woodworking stretches, just kind of typical stuff that you would do to kind of loosen up your shoulders and your wrists and kind of, you know, just move around a little bit to get the blood flowing and get the muscles kind of loose. But you got to be really pay really close attention to what is it that's hurting. In this case, his right palm is killing me today. Where does your right palm contact the saw? Like, and, and really look at the handle and try to figure out what is it that's causing this? Can I adjust my grip at all? Can I loosen my grip? Or is just the handle really bad for my hand? And if you're going to be doing a lot of that work, you might want to think about remaking a handle that's going to fit your hand better. Um, when we talk about a saw handle fitting like a glove, it really should. Not only does will it prevent you from getting soreness and tiredness, but it will also increase the accuracy of your cut. If the saw is more of an extension of your hand and you're not, there's not a lot of slop in it and you're having to, to grip it real hard, the other thing is when you grip a saw hard, it automatically tweaks the saw offline. So you can have difficulty running a straight line that way too. Same thing happens with hand planes. Same thing happens with chisels. So um, kind of avoided your question there because I think there's a deeper issue at heart. Um, how about you guys? Have you ever like, like the next day you're like, man, why is this so sore? What did I do wrong here? I've got a different perspective on muscle soreness than, than I've ever had before. <laughs> and uh, I've noticed, right? Like I've, uh, so little personal thing I've been all year long. This has been like my year of fitness. So all year long, probably since Christmas time, I've been running, you know, four days a week. I've been cycling a couple days a week and I've gotten I've like feeling like, man, this is great. I'm almost 40 years old and I'm in better shape now than I was in my twenties. So I'm like overconfident while well, it's getting hot. So I went to the gym and at the gym, I just kind of, you know, I still run on the treadmill and stuff, but I kind of do some of the, a little bit of weightlifting here and there, uh, you know, pushing up five pounds is uh, it's a lot of work, <laughs> you know, for a guy like me. Um, but yeah, I, I do some weightlifting and I'm in there going, this is fantastic. Like I am pushing as much weight as I did when I was in my twenties. Uh, this feels great. And I had a really good workout. And then the next four or five days was absolute hell. <laughs> and that's the one key difference. I could work out like I'm 20, but I don't heal like I'm 20. My joints hurt way more than I've ever had them hurt. Like the healing time from that is, is just way longer than it ever was before. And I'm sure people listening to this know exactly what I'm talking about. So I totally agree. He's probably death gripping the thing in that, especially if he's got just specifically pain in his palms. But I also think that over time, you know, we're just getting older. You may, you may feel it a little bit more than you're used to. It sounds like he's feeling it more now than he has in the past. And to me, that just may be age or lack of frequency um, because sometimes you just build up a little bit. I mean, Shannon, yeah, with you, there, I'm is, sure, there is that there's no question. The more sawing you do, the more relaxed you become. Yeah, Even with a relaxed grip, if I saw all day or I've, I, you know, sub in your shop and, and do your job for you all day, not only would the work be crappy, but um, you know, even if I had a light grip, I would still be feeling it like big time. The, the, the secret day. there is to embrace ambidexterity. Yes. When your left arm gets tired, switch to your right. It's, yeah. a, it's, it's a brilliant thing. It works I great. Heavily, it's all, all day. I heavily favor my right side. That would be very tough for me to do. So yeah, anyway, a lot of this just may be the nature of the situation too. Um, but it, but it definitely sounds to me like there's a, a little bit more of a, a death grip action going on there. Mm -hmm. Matt, yeah, you're still I mean, young. You recover fast now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> I don't know. I carry slabs around all the time. I don't know. I don't like, I don't know. You're That's like, like a, the only like really physical thing I do. Like a baby Paul Bunyan. There you go. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I, don't, I don't really have a problem like from like muscle soreness or anything from like being in the shop. The only time I have that kind of soreness is when I move stacks of lumber around the next day. Yeah. I'll feel it. 
But right. as far as being in the shop, not really. I mean, I definitely echo uh, what Shannon said about having a the handles that fit your hands. I have really tiny hands, so it's really nice for me to have my bad axe saw, which has an extra small handle, so it actually fits my hand and it feels really good in my hand. Interesting. Yeah, it, that was a night and day thing for me when I started using saws with either custom handles or handles that were properly fit and properly shaped. Not only, like I said earlier, was the accuracy so much better, but um, I, I just I, like I get this like on on YouTube. It's like, man, you must be tired, and it's like, honestly, no. Like, if the tool is sharp and you're using it properly, it's not exhausting work. You know, if it were, I'd be a lot thinner <laughs> than I am now. <laughs> you know, the caloric burn is really yeah. not there, and I can work in the shop all day. Um, it's efficient working and using tools that are are right for the job. And that's the other thing. Um, he does say yesterday's panel cutting. Um, maybe he's one of those guys that bought a panel saw, that generically term saw called a panel saw, mm-hmm. which, you know, it just means a saw without a back, and that's absolutely wrong. Panel saw is actually a finer toothed, like 18 to 22 inch saw meant for cutting thinner stock. Well, if he's using a panel saw to cut rough stock, then he's working really, really hard, you know? So there's any number of things there, but this reminds me of, um, Lee Valley's new line of customizable hand planes where you've got the different size, uh, totes and handles and things that allow Mm -hmm. you to adjust for larger or smaller hands. Uh, it's, and it's funny too, because a lot of times you may, just be using a tool and not even put two and two together. And this is just the way the tool's provided, but it's uncomfortable to use. You wouldn't even think that like, Oh, it's, it might be the handle, you know, maybe something just isn't contoured right for the yeah. size or shape of my hand. Yeah. There's a lot of people who, who are very kind of divided on the Lee Nielsen verse Veritas thing because of the handle shape. Yeah. And some people love Veritas and other people hate it and they like the Lee Nielsen because it is right. a very different uh, angle and, and different feel to their handles. So I'm partial to Lee Nielsen myself. Uh, So I got, I've already got the show title. It's, uh, we have to pick. It's either baby Paul Bunyan or Matt's baby hands. (laughs) One or the other. (laughs) So somehow Matt's going under the bus today. I'm I'm still stuck on, I'm still stuck on Marcus sweaty and unemployable. That is, that's just a factual statement. (laughs) There's a difference. (laughs) Good stuff. All right. Well, if you want to keep this nonsense going every week, you can help us by supporting us. You can go to woodtalkshow.com and look at the recurring or one-time donation links over in the side column. You could pick up a Wood Talk t-shirt at twwstore.com or if you want, just head to iTunes, leave us a rating or a and or a review and that kind of helps us be found a little bit easier in the iTunes store. Uh, and people do still use iTunes for podcasts and other content, but uh, you know, it's not that fun of a program to use anymore. But hey, it's there. It's a uh, it's definitely helpful to us with that five-star rating. Um, let's see if I could read one here. I didn't pick one ahead of time. Matt Tucker says, uh, Wood fam, I've listened to every episode and some multiple times. Such great content. Not only do the guys feel like family at this point, but I enjoy them more than pretty much all of my real family. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> thanks all four of you for your content. Well, we appreciate that, Matt. Thanks so much. And uh, sorry about your family. Yeah, you're invited to Thanksgiving at my house. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime. Anyone's welcome. Because I don't really like my family either, so it'd be nice to have somebody I can talk to. There you go. That's awesome. All right, uh, Shannon, why don't you give them that contact info? We'll get out of here. Okay. If you have comments, questions, or topic suggestions, there's a lot of ways to contact us. You can call us on Skype. Our username is Online. You can call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180 or use our contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact. 
Um, you can go to Facebook and leave us something there, maybe. Or you can go to the actual website, woodtalkshow.com, and read the show notes, click on the links, leave comments there, do all that fun stuff. And then you can find us on our other sites, thewoodwhisper.com, renaissancewoodworker.com, and mattcremona.com. Sweet. All right, well, thanks for... .coms. Yeah, .coms. <laughs> all right, well, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.